Okay. Oh, there's a pro there's a gathering protest type thing today. Before I forget, 1 p.m. Share it with you. Sixth and Laurel, right? Sixth and Laurel. Yep, sixth and Laurel at 1 p.m. for Palestine. Okay, if anyone can make it. Alright, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So we left off. I think on number eight. Yeah, so we had left off last time was a long discussion on the idea of the nafs. You remember? The nafs and the, the base self of the person and how essentially the lived path of Islam is a struggle against the nafs. How do I subjugate the nafs to the aql? We have this inner capacity of emotions and feelings and, and that whole world, which is extremely important and essential to the human being. And then we have the intellect, which is meant to, dom uh, meant, meant to um, direct those emotional capacities. And uh, so what we're always trying to do is to develop our intellect so that we can understand things properly and to refine and purify our nafs our base, our, our ego, or it's not a good translation actually, but our nafs. Um, because as we talked about, when we say like base desires, ego, stuff like that for nafs, it's always negative. But the goal actually is that the nafs is, is purified and refined such that it's not negative anymore. That it becomes positive and it becomes um, good, you know. So our goal is that we refine our intellect and we refine our nafs so that we're able to see things appropriately and we're able to do something about it. Because this is the challenge, right? One challenge is, and, and they work together so clearly. One challenge is to understand properly. And the nafs will interfere with that understanding process. You know? Like if, 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 if my anger, anger is necessary. Because without anger you can't have courage. So anger is necessary. But if my anger is not under the obedience of my intellect, then it's going to start clouding my interpretation of what I should do. How am I going to respond to this thing? How do I do this thing? It starts to mess it up. So it has to be under it. Uh, so we have to see properly and then we have to have the ability to do something about it. Also, the, the nafs sometimes is not, uh, as we discussed, it's not, um, it's not always so willing to cooperate. <laughs> you know? Sometimes we can get to the point where we understand something, but we just don't have within ourselves, for whatever reason, the ability to do something about it. So, someone who, uh, for example, like addictions work this way, it's an extreme example of, of the issue, is that you have an addiction and what's going on inside of the person is so overpowering that even when the mind knows that it shouldn't do it, the body overtakes it, right? So the, the nafs has to be sometimes, we have to know about ourselves that the nafs will take time to, to grow into discipline. So just because I figured out something doesn't mean it's going to change right away. And I have to be patient and make dua and submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and take the steps one after the other and, and have the mistakes and, have the, and, and, and work through them and keep going inshallah so now he's going to uh, talk about I think we may have mentioned this last time uh, we did actually uh, but number 8 is an extension of this that we talked about last time number 8 says 
حفظهم الله تعالى ونفعنا الله بأهو بعلومه في الدارين أمين Eat less, sleep less, talk less and stay away from ما لا يعني ما لا يعني Eat less, sleep less, talk less and stay away from things that aren't your business In Futuwa, what a person should not do is as important as what one should do So Futuwa, for anyone who's coming first time Futuwa, as we talked about is the topic of this book Futuwa is this code of how a Muslim should act Essentially, most easy way The code of how the Muslim should act And the, um, uh, the pinnacle of that expression is in the lives of the Prophets The pinnacle of that expression is in the lives of the Prophets okay? So this is in Futuwa, what a person should not do is as important as what one should do SubhanAllah So true the fetah should not eat a lot, should not sleep a lot, should not talk a lot, and should not be preoccupied with things that don't concern them. Eat less, sleep less. As explained in the previous rule, it is important to give the nafs its right to eat, sleep, and drink, but it is also necessary to prevent it from enjoying these pleasures excessively. Excessive eating and sleeping shows that the person cannot control himself and that he is a prisoner of his hedonistic desires. So what is it? There's no liberation if the person can't get over themselves. Any other liberation is not going to go very far Because three minute, one hour later there's going to be something that takes over the person you know? So the liberation has to be The primary issue of liberation is in overwhelm, uh, overcoming That which uh, takes over the self <coughs> And I had told you the story last time of Shaykh Ali Saleh Hafizahullah uh, You know, someone who's completely liberated from all of these things just lives his life in happiness Doesn't need anything Has his like one garment, two garments Very simple food um, Everything is fine Because all those things, you don't care about them anyways It's like uh, Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani said uh, This is, shows you the danger of sound bites huh? He said, Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani said I wish I had all the money in the world so if you stop it there, you have a problem. <laughs> People cut clips, you know, you cut the clip, you make a problem out of it. He said, I wish I had every mon all the money in the world. And they're like, okay. He said, so that I could give it to all the people who need it. It would just pass through. Like it would come, and then it would get distributed properly. All of the money would come, it would get distributed properly to all the people who need it. And many of the righteous people were like this. They, this is how people would purify their wealth. They pass it through the... They pass it through these people. I'm not saying you should necessarily do the same thing today in the same way. You know, societies are different, civilization is different, so on and so forth, especially uh, in the West. But there could be cases like that. I told you the story, I think, of... Uh, who was that? I think it was Habib Abdul Qadir al-Saqqaf, who he was in his gathering, you know, and... You know, a lot of these shuyukh, basically it was understood that if you have an issue, you go to them. They're the ones that are going to solve your problems, you know. So you'd have his gathering, people would come, seek whatever they need. So one person came, very wealthy, had a bag full of money. Put a bag full of money down in front of the sheikh. He said, this is for you. Do whatever you want with it. The sheikh just took the bag, put it on the side. Told one of the people, he told, can you take this, just put it somewhere. So they put it somewhere. More people come, more people come, more people come. Another person comes, they have a particular need. So, Sheikh called the same person, you know, said, can you come, bring the bag? Bring the bag, gave the guy the bag. He said, you take it, do whatever you need with it, handle your... 
He never even looked in the bag. <laughs> it just passed. Someone, now, from a purely materialistic perspective, someone might look at it and be like, well, he should have counted it and known exactly how much he was giving and so on and so forth. No. People are not always, uh, people like at that level are not always functioning with the same level of processing that, that we are. He, he just knew. This, this was here. Like, sometimes things come together in such a way that it's clear what they were meant for. You know? So, like, he didn't have to look at it. He already knew this was meant for this person. Khalas, give it to them. You don't have to count it. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Eat less, sleep less. Uh, so the person has to overcome their desires. Talk less. As for speech, SubhanAllah. Speech thing, man. Astaghfirullah. It's a 20 year problem. This problem's older than my kids. <laughs> it's older than my furniture. SubhanAllah. As for speech, the feta is the one who speaks only when necessary and as much as necessary. In situations where speech is more appropriate than silence, the feta speaks. And in situations where silence is more appropriate than speech, the feta remains silent. Talking a lot, like eating a lot and sleeping a lot, is a result and manifestation of being captive to one's hedonistic desires. Sometimes we might read things in the tradition that don't immediately sit well with us. It's good to have a critical mind. It's also good to give the benefit of doubt to inherited wisdom. So like this issue of speech is very clear in the Sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. It's very clear in the behavior and the life of every righteous Muslim and all of Muslim history, this issue of speech. So if it doesn't sit well with me, that's okay. I should, I should recognize that. But I should also have some uh, respect for um, that which came before. And know that, you know, as we've talked about before, how these things actually look in reality, sometimes um, it needs to be worked out a little bit. Okay? So, for example, you might some, have someone who believes this fully. And when you, but, but every time you see them, you see them in a situation where they're expected to talk. So they're talking. People are looking at them like they, you know, they're waiting for them to say something, they're talking, they're doing whatever they need to do. And, but then if you catch them outside those situations, you find that they're not talking at all. But you didn't see them there, you saw them somewhere else, you know? So, so Nia is important here, that's my point. Sometimes it's necessary to talk. Although even still the Prophet, if you want to be really particular, the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't speak much. And then they avoid ma yani. The feta also does not interfere in others' affairs. There's a distribution of duties and responsibilities among people in social life. What a great sentence. Great, great sentence. There's a distribution of duties and responsibilities among people in social life. Everyone has their own duties for which they are responsible. However, sometimes people waste their time in dealing with the duties of others. Such behavior is wrong in several aspects. First of all, those who deal with other people's affairs cannot find enough time to do their own work. Secondly, interfering in others' duties makes pe those people uncomfortable, and this negatively affects the quality of their relationship. Thirdly, people's meddling in other people's affairs disrupts the existing order. So basically, every single person has their own things that they're responsible for. 
And their job then is to deal with those responsibilities and not interfere in everyone else's responsibilities. And thus, it's their responsibility to manage other people's responsibilities, right? So now that's their responsibility. But oftentimes it's not, you know. <coughs> and sometimes this can be really tricky. You know, sometimes this can be really tricky. We, we might convince ourselves that something is our issue, but it's not actually our issue. And um, finding, that, finding that balance can be challenging. But nonetheless, uh, we have to focus on what's in front of us. And sometimes it's very, the distractions are pleasing to the self. And Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghidda says that one of the tricks of shaitan with the students of knowledge of Islamic sciences is that he'll always get them to study everything other than their curriculum. Because <laughs> Islamic studies is like so vast. There's so many things you can read, so many things you can study. You know, you can go and sit in the, it's, it's a little bit harder here, but like, you know, bookstores in Egypt were a huge fitna. The library is a big fitna. Like you go into the bookstore, there's so many things published. There's new books that came out, new editions, this manuscript, this, that, so on and so forth. There's so many things. But the student has things that they have to finish in front of them. And if they don't finish those things, they'll never be strong. And shaitan and the nefs will get them to do everything else. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to do this. Well, what about this thing? Oh, this is stupid. But you have a curriculum in front of you. You didn't finish it, you know. You had to finish this thing. So, same thing with our responsibilities. Once we have things in front of us, they're not like the most exciting thing, you know. Like if I'm honest, there's a lot of things usually I want to do other than the things I need to do. But every single day there's the dishes and there's like probably some kids laundry and there's a school routine and there's grocery shopping that needs to get done and there's uh, houses that need to get cleaned and there's all these things that, and like kids need time and attention and love and all of this kind of stuff like they need all of those things they don't need me to like read an Aqidah book for the seventh time <laughs> it's not helping review this issue in Hanafi fiqh that never happens and it's like the third time you reviewed it because you can't remember anything oh it's not Helping actually the immediate responsibility. It's just an escape from the immediate responsibility. The immediate responsibility is sometimes difficult But the person if they're serious about their spiritual development They have to leave that which does not concern them that can be true for outside Which is oftentimes what the problem is, you know, I'm involved in someone else's problem someone else's business someone else's backbiting, you know Backbiting such an interesting thing. Well, I just want to talk to you about it. I just need someone to talk to you about it, so on and so forth. It's kind of like, well, just tell me what you need me to do, because then it's halal. But not all the details. Just, is there something you need me to do in this situation? Okay. What do I need to know in order to help the situation? Okay, that's it. Nothing more, nothing, nothing less. But it usually goes more than that. Family issues usually go more than that. All these things, they usually end up more than that. You know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. It is worth differentiating between staying away from mala ya'ni, staying away from what doesn't concern a person, and staying away from prying at this point. By staying away from what is not a person's concern, the person does not interfere in other people's affairs, no matter how important they are. Abandoning prying, on the other hand, means staying away from all useless occupations. I don't know if prying is a good translation here. Fudul. Fudul. Uh, basically, it's extra stuff. There's one which is things that are not important to me And there's another one that's just useless preoccupations It's just busy with something that doesn't really matter 
A person who eats a lot, sleeps a lot, talks a lot, and spends time in that which doesn't concern them cannot possibly find time for performing his own duties and responsibilities. Therefore, it is inevitable for a person who does these things to have good time management skills and to organize their priorities. The feta distinguishes between what is important and what is most important and follows the rule, first things first, because his priority is serving others. SubhanAllah. If you don't put first things first, you can't serve. It's very interesting. Uh, in order to find time for such service, it is necessary not to waste time eating, sleeping, engaging in idle talk and in affairs that do not concern the person. So they have to put things in the right place. Imam al-Ghazali, he said, That to leave the order between good things is from the bad things. To leave the order between good things is from the bad things. من جملة الشرور رحمه الله Okay, clear? Number nine Work with Azima and stay away from Rukhsa Work with Azima and stay away from Rukhsa So basically the idea here is that in the teachings of the religion you have matters that are Azima and you have matters that are Rukhsa You have matters that are kind of like the default but they're a little bit more difficult and then you have things that are the exception. So, for example, this is not necessarily what it's saying here, but for example, um, the norm is that we fast in Ramadan, right? But if we're traveling, we have the ability to, we have the choice to not fast. So the azima would be to fast anyways. The rukhsa would be to not fast. Okay? Uh, the azima, but azima also has a meaning of like. Uh, That's a good word, man. MashaAllah. Some of these words in Arabic are such good words. Um, you know, once you've taken your decision, you know, to be a person of Azima is like someone who they look at the situation, they see it clearly, they take their decision, they follow through on their decision. That's it. It's done now. The decision was made. With the Prophet, one of my favorite lines in the whole seerah. The Prophet when, they, when he took the shura, I think it was before Uhud, right? He took the shura, do we fight them inside the city? Do we go outside the city? The young people won the battle, the argument. And they were basically like, we should go outside the city. The elders, they were like, we should stay in the city. Medina has never been, you know, it's a very safe place. We can easily defend from inside Medina. The young people are like, no, we just won Badr. Let's go out and go out in the battle. They're excited, you know. Eventually the shura was, we go out and meet them in battle. So the Prophet them, he went into his house, put his armor on. By the time he came out, the other people were talking and they were like, they were kind of like, Ya Rasulullah, we kind of talked it over and like, <laughs> maybe we should stay in the city, you know? And the Prophet them, told them, it's not befitting for a Prophet once he puts his armor on to take it off until he goes to battle. That's it. The decision is made. You know, we're going. That's it. So subhanAllah, like, <clears throat> this azima is very powerful thing. So his azima perseverance is the most virtuous deed with the highest reward in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the rukhsa or the license, sometimes they call it, is an action that is permissible. The feta persistently prefers the most virtuous behavior with the highest reward. Unless the conditions compel him, he does not compromise from performing his deeds with azima. Sometimes out of control situations can occur in human life in such necessary situations that people of futuwa can act with licenses. 
So the point is not just to make everything too difficult. You know? Maybe you need, maybe there's an exception. But the standard baseline of what the person trains themselves to do and how they train themselves to live is we're going to take the high road. You know? We're going to do the right thing. And we're going to uphold this standard. This is why you see, like, you know, subhanAllah, this is, maybe there's something here, actually. Wow. I think there's something about this that makes real men. Rijal. And women can be from that category too. But it makes like real human beings. But the person who's consistently taking the easy way out creates weak human beings. And when you have a civilization that produces the latter rather than the former, you have a big problem. And uh, this is not meant to be a, um, a jab at anyone in particular. But you see it very clearly even in American society. And I, again, I'm not trying to, I may have said this before, and I'm not trying to um, you know, disrespect anyone or anything like that. But you know, if you watch X, right, Spike Lee's Malcolm X movie, and you watch One Night in Miami that Netflix made more recently about like Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and like this conversation that they had one night in Miami, right? And you look at the acting in it, it's very clear that the culture has changed. To the extent that you cannot, it's difficult to find probably, if, if possible at all, to find an actor who can actually play Malcolm. Civilization doesn't produce it. And you think about it. This is a civilization of too much, too much rukhsa. Too much taking it easy. <laughs> it's just all taking it easy. You know, I'm going to take the easy way on this, I'm going to take the easy way on that, I'm going to take the easy way on this. So what do you have in the end of the day? You have very weak people. You know? I, I, you know, our, our dear friend Dr. Siraj is here today. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I found, like, with... Uh, our, like our physician brothers and sisters, especially the really ethical ones and the good ones, I love working with them because they're really strong. It's just a consequence of the training. I'm not saying it's good necessarily. The training, I think, is actually abusive in many cases. But, the, but to get through what it takes to become a physician is very, very difficult between the studies, between the residency, between the hours, between like the stuff that you're exposed to, all of these kind of things, it's extremely difficult. So if someone comes out of it and they're still ethical and they're still good, you know I can kind of rely on this person. Like they're, they're gonna be strong, you know? Yeah. So some things are like that. Some trades are like that, some people are like that, some civilizations are like that, some cultures are like that. They just produce people like that. But it's because you, there's no easy way out, you know? It's like, I have to do this the hard way. I have to show up and do this every single day. Like, I feel that I've actually become a weaker person after I left being an imam. Because I think it was necessary because I probably would have ruined myself, my own life and other people's lives had I stayed an imam. But I think that it made me weaker. Because when you're an imam doing your work every single day, it's really hard. Like, every single day you have to do multiple things that you really don't want to do. You have to deal with this case, you really don't want to deal with this case. You want to handle this situation, you really don't want to deal with this situation. Sometimes you have things, they might even be dangerous to you. 
that you have to deal with it because it came to you, now it's your responsibility, right? It's very difficult and every day you have to do it. It's not the same. I feel like teaching has made me a little bit stronger actually because every single day you have to go to class, you have to deal with kids. It makes you crazy, you know? This is not easy, it's very difficult. And actually the, the, the default understanding of education in a state like California is terrible. You know, the default understanding is that if you're a full-time teacher, you teach five classes a day. Five classes a day is insane. It's, it's actually insane to teach five classes a day. Uh, you have seven periods in the day, you're gonna teach five out of seven periods. You don't have any time to breathe, you don't have any time to think, you don't have any time to, time to recover. Like, you, every class is different, has different characters, different people, different things are going on. Like, it's very difficult to teach five classes a day. And yet you have these teachers who every single day, day in and day out, they teach five classes a day. I don't this year. I couldn't. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know? But some people, they do that every single day, five classes. Every single day they have these jobs. Like, it makes you, there's a strength that the person has afterwards because they took azima. Okay? How do we get that strength without having abuse, that I think is a really important issue and, and conversation, but obviously it's not going to be solved by like one person in five minute reflection. But that's an important question. Because I think that a lot of times, the way that we do that is through abuse. You know, we're just actually really, we take it too far. And, uh, but at the same time, we don't want it to be not far enough. It's a difficult thing. Uh... The distinguishing feature of scholars and students of knowledge from the rest of the believers is to act with azima. <coughs> SubhanAllah. Yeah. Allah forgive us. However, scholars can issue a fatwa with a license to those who ask for fatwas from the common people depending on their situation, or they can explain both the azima and rukhsa options and leave the choice to them. This is because acting with azima all the time and in all deeds is not obligatory for everyone. Instead, it is a superior quality the virtuous people voluntarily, voluntarily adopt. It's like one of our teachers in Hanafi fiqh. It's well known in Hanafi fiqh, there's no combining of prayers, except in uh, Arafah and Muzdalifah, in Hajj. Otherwise, there's no combining of prayers. The fatwa the shaykh gives, he said, if a regular person comes to you, asks you, can they combine between prayers when they're traveling? He's like, give them the fatwa that they can combine between prayers. And he's like a strict Hanafi. He's like, but you, as student of knowledge, you guys shouldn't act upon this as much as you can. He told the students, you know. So he's saying, you don't do this, but regular people, if they come to you, and they're like, you know, sometimes having an issue or whatever, He's like, some of them, they might not even pray. If you tell them they can't combine, they just won't pray. <laughs> you know? He's like, so give them the easy opinion, let them. But you shouldn't get accustomed to taking the easy opinion on everything. It is difficult for people who have, it, have made, it, made it a habit to act with licenses to have adopted to adopt taqwa and virtue. This is because they usually prefer the easiest options that pleases their souls to the most virtuous behavior. It's just the easier route, you know? And um, instead of applying licenses or the minimum rules of conduct, they act with what is most beloved and virtuous in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they take the route of honor. It was narrated by Abu Huraira that a Bedouin came to the Prophet and said, Tell me such a deed that will enter me into paradise if I do it. 
The Prophet said, Worship Allah and worship none other than Him. Offer the five prayers, pay the zakat, fast Ramadan. The Bedouin said, By Him in whose hands my life, I will not do more than this. This is what he said, I'm not doing more than that. <laughs> he didn't put the end of the hadith. It might come in a, in a little bit. Oh, man. My leg is not agreeing with this azimah right now. Oh! Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, if he's told the truth, he's going to Jannah. Right? So again, like he didn't uphold, he didn't force people. This is an uh, important point. You don't force people to uphold the harder path with azimah. You let them know that it exists. And you call them to know that there's a greater reward in that, and there's greater honor in that, there's greater virtue in that. And you let the people build towards what they can. Slowly but surely, they build towards it. And human beings, subhanAllah, if you're gentle with them and you love them and you, you give them the roadmap and you tell them this is what you can be, oftentimes they'll, you'll see them improve over time. As we can see in this example of the Bedouin who came to the Prophet to ask these questions, there are two types of people. On the one hand, there are those who, can, content, who are content with only fulfilling the obligatory options, uh, duties and avoiding what is haram. On the other hand, there are those who stay away from the haram, the makruh, and the doubtful acts and try to fulfill all the recommended things. They say, actually, that nobody attains like high levels in spirituality and piety until they give up not only things that are disliked, but they give up things that are permissible out of wanting to be closer to Allah. It's permissible, you know. Uh, Without overeating, eating to your, fi not fill, but like the one-third, one-third, one-third fill is permissible. Uh, but they'll eat less than that. You know, may Allah forgive us. So grateful to teach from text. I, I told you, I have a really hard time speaking if it's not from a text. Uh, Last week I had to give khutbah at the school, it was only 10 minutes and I, I just ran out. I was like, I don't know what to say. You, but then when you read the words of, the, the, of righteous people, and you can't get your fill from them, you know, it's beautiful. But I, you know, I'm not the example. Alhamdulillah, we have an example. How about the issues in which scholars disagree? Okay. He says, perseverance in matters on which scholars disagree requires abandoning controversial issues and following the consensus. Following the general consensus is considered the most prudent deed. This is true. However, you know, we should note that like we weren't meant to have a religion that had the hardest opinions on everything. Like people sometimes they'll ask, which, which madhab is most strict? And I always tell them, it doesn't really work like that. Like it's, that's not, no madhab set out to be the most strict, the most lenient. Uh, the madhab is to um, ap apply a consistent methodology to interpreting the Qur'an and the way of the Prophet Sometimes that will lead to an easier conclusion, sometimes it will lead to a harder conclusion. As a whole, it will kind of even out. On certain topics, you might have a leaning, maybe, like maybe in, in purification, one school might be di more difficult than the other. But it will, it will even out somewhere else Because it's not their intention But what happens then if we choose to take the harder opinion on everything Is that sometimes we can create something that's overly difficult actually There are times when this might be prudent You know um, 
for example, like if someone is leading others in salat, it's good for them to make wudu in a way that, like generally if you make wudu in a way that fulfills all of the obligations and recommendations in your school, it will probably fulfill all of the obligations in the other schools. But not necessarily if you only do your obligations. You understand? So like in the Hanafi school, you're required to wipe a fourth of your head. But the sunnah is you wipe your whole head. If you wipe your whole head, you're good in the other madhabs. If you only wipe a fourth of your head, you're not good necessarily. And well, not necessarily. You're not good in the Maliki and the Hanbali madhabs. You're not okay. You know. So if that person comes and prays behind you, you have a problem. Potentially, like the point is that you could. Sometimes it's good to get out of all differences. Sometimes it's not possible to do so for any number of reasons. Uh, anyways, moving on. Number 10, cleanse your heart from hate and jealousy, but oppose oppressors. Wow, that's relevant. SubhanAllah. <laughs> wow. Maybe we'll stop after this one because we'll probably be at 11.30 by then. Give people time to do what they need to do. Cleanse your heart from hate and jealousy, but oppose oppressors. The feta does not hold grudges, does not envy, and does not make enemies. However, he opposes oppressors because whoever does not oppose the oppressor becomes complicit in the oppression. A person who embarks on the path of futuwa must, therefore, remove all feelings of jealousy, hatred, and enmity from this heart. These feelings are the biggest obstacles to moral and spiritual development. Jealousy destroys all virtuous behavior just as fire burns wood. The feta cannot be jealous because one of the basic rules of futuwa is to love for others that which one loves for oneself, which makes it the complete opposite of jealousy. How can someone who wishes for the deprivation of a blessing or merit possessed by another person? and desires having that blessing or merit exclusively for themselves, make sacrifices for that person. It is worth noting, however, the oppressors are excluded from this rule. The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever among you sees an evil, he must change it with his hand. If he is unable to do so, then with his tongue, and if he is unable to do so, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. It is one of the requirements of Futuwa to oppose the oppressors and fight them. MashaAllah. <coughs> Again, this is not necessarily a very easy thing. Right? The, the aql and the nafs have to be very much in order in order to get this right. Because the aql will tell you that this, um, you know, this thing is wrong. This person, this thing that they're doing, for example, is wrong. And I have to do something about this wrong. I have to say something, I have to try to resolve it, I have to take whatever action I need to take in order to deal with this. And at the same time, I have to have enough self-regulation to be able to not turn that into hatred and, and bad feelings and ill will and all of these other kind of things towards that person. And that takes a lot of spiritual and emotional maturity. That's not very easy. Usually our first response is to be kind of like emotional about it. And then we realize that our emotions went too far. So then we get rid of all of them. 
but it's not actually the right way. We have to kind of like swing, swing, swing until we finally get to the point where it's like, okay. As I always say, the statement of Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, rahimahullah, said, Aidina to qim al had, wa to ra'i al wood. That our hands, they carry out the punishment, and our, our hearts, they maintain love. Okay, something needs to be said, something needs to be done, and I still want good for this person. I still want, you know. Look at the Prophet ﷺ, one of the most amazing things about his seerah is that in vast majority of cases, some of which were very extreme, there was usually a door to come back. You know, like he didn't shut the door on people. Uh, he, but I'm not going to shut the door on you. But I'm also not going to waver on the principle. Right? So you can come back, but you're going to have to submit to the principle. And this, I think, is the big challenge. You know? And that's where a lot of nefs gets involved and so on and so forth. You know, we're responsible to treat each other appropriately and to try to have good edit with each other and stuff like that. We're not responsible to fight other people's nefs problems. You know, some people, sometimes other people just have nefs problems. Like there's a nefs problem here, they have to fight that themselves. <laughs> I'm not going to try to instigate it unnecessarily. But the principle, for example, is like, I don't know, let's say what the principle, principle is that people don't seek positions of power and leadership, for example. So, you're just like, the principle is, uh, the Prophet said, we don't give this affair of ours to those who ask for it. You know, that's a principle. Like you ask for leadership, we don't give it to you. You're going to be upset about it, you have to deal with that. That's not for me. I'll, I'll be polite with you, you know. But in the end of the day, you got to deal with that. You know, um, and this is so, but this, we have to deal with these things internally. And try to maintain. Like the Prophet still always wanted people to be guided. They were his enemies, he fought them in battle sometimes And he wanted them to be guided We don't want them to go to hell It's not actually the goal We don't want people to go to hell right? We don't want people to be wrong We don't want people to have mistakes That could be very detrimental to them in the hereafter We don't want them to have that We want them to be able to fix that And at the same time If their harm has to be stopped, their harm has to be stopped It's a very challenging thing But look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And sometimes even for him it was a lot. I always think about this issue with Wahshi, you know. Like even for the Prophet, the Prophet sallallahu forgave so many things. And some things were like, okay, I'll stop. I'll, the principle's there. Like what happened with Wahshi after he killed Hamza, right? He killed Hamza, all of that happened. Eventually he comes to the Prophet sallallahu he announces his Islam. The Prophet accepts his Islam and he tells him, but basically, like, please don't come near me. Like, I can't, st basically, I can't stand to look at you. You killed my uncle, you know? Uh, like, I, I can't. And his uncle, that, like, they grew up together, you know? Like, you killed him. I can't look at you. I'll accept your Islam, you know? But you can't do this. And this is a very tough thing. And our community really struggles with this issue. Especially, I've noticed, we struggle with this issue and it creates a lot of confusion for us when it comes to mistakes that prominent people make. You know? There are mistakes that religious leaders make 
that we can say to them, they can repent, and we can say to them, you can come and pray in the masjid anytime. And you will never stand on that member again. And that's legitimate. That's the, that's, that's the reality of that maqam. You know, if, if you stand on the pulpit of the Prophet them, you have a responsibility. You did something inappropriate, you stole people's money, you did whatever it is that you did, that's your business, you can repent from it. But that doesn't mean that you're going to stand there again. That's a different thing. You know? So sometimes, like, and, and it's not that we have any issue with you. Like, I feel sad for you. you know? I feel bad for you. I hope that your tawbah is sincere. And we pray and, and we don't think that we're free from any of these things. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us, you know. It's not like a judgment, it's not a hatred, it's not a jealousy, but it's a principle. It's not yours anymore. You know, it's... Uh, and alhamdulillah, you don't have to stand there in order to be saved. <laughs> you have to worship Allah and submit to Him in order to be saved. You don't have to teach, you don't have to do any of these things. So, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. These are tough things. But to... To be able to do that, see things as they are, and put the limits in the appropriate place, and the heart still remains wanting good for the person and everything else, it's a very challenging thing. May Allah help us to, to uh, attain this kind of... Uh, <coughs> it's, a, it's a very high level of strength. May Allah help us to get this strength. Anyone have any comments or questions or anything? Uh, we're honored and, and, and happy to have Sheikh Sohail with us. MashaAllah, Sheikh Sohail Maranisi. He's a very learned person in our San Diego community, MashaAllah. And uh, I would ask him to say something, but we kind of agreed yesterday that I wouldn't do that. So, <laughs> so Abdullah, we're very honored that you're here. Barakallah Sheikh. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. So we'll hear very often that it's good to take the rukhsa, it's good to take the license. And there are narrations, I don't know their reliability, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes, loves for his rukhas to be taken, for his licenses to be followed, you know, when we have an easy, we have an exception. You know? And I think that the wording here, so... There's a technical usage of the relationship between azima and rukhsa that comes in the fiqh. That's like there's the default rule, that's the azima, and the exception will be the rukhsa, and that's the fiqh. And usually where you hear this, like it's good to take the rukhsa, you usually hear it in the, in the areas of fiqh. Um, <coughs> and I think that there's truth to that. Uh, some of the madhabs differ, but there's, there's truth to that. Um, and it's not necessarily that what you were told was wrong. I wouldn't say that that's wrong. And I think that there's... But then the same concept will come up more broadly. So in the fiqh, for example, in the fiqh, normally we pray dhuhr four rakah, right? 
leaving the Hanafis aside, normally you pray Dhuhr for Rakah. If you're traveling, you can pray two. Right? It would be Rukhsa to pray two, it's Azimah to pray four. And you could do the two, and it's not really an issue. You know? uh, in the Hanafi school, I said you have to put it aside. Hanafi school, you have to pray two, it's wajib to, to do Qasr uh, if you're traveling. So, and then, uh, but this also extends more broadly. You know? Like, maybe these are choices in my life. One of them is a little bit. There's, there's, the, there's two choices, they're, option, they're, they're both appropriate and they're both sound. But one of them is more noble, one of them is more honorable, one of them is more right. And I should take the azimah. So I think that it's, I think this is, especially in the kind of like more spiritual discourses, this is the idea more than the fiqh side of it. Although, like, theoretically, if someone is just taking the easy opinion on everything in the fiqh, that would also be a problem, spiritually, you know? But they, that's not what they're talking about here. Um, uh, this is a big topic that... It's imp uh, I will just say that sometimes there's questions... That, sometimes I say something and I realize there's like five questions that can come from this. And if you have them, it's okay to ask them. But I don't want to go down all of them because maybe people don't have them and you just kind of like went off into la-la land. Um, but, yeah, does that, do you see what I'm getting at? Ish. So let me, let me try to think of an example. Yeah. It's definitely from the azimah to fast. Uh, is it better to take the rukhsa or not? I mean, some of the, again, when you get into the realm of fiqh, usually you're going to get different approaches and different perspectives and stuff. Like, some of the scholars are going to say, it's better actually to just not fast. You know, the Prophet said it's not from piety to fast while traveling. Right? Others will come and they'll say, well, he was saying that because he was afraid that people are going to harm themselves unnecessarily. So then other scholars will come and say, it's better to fast if it's not going to cause you harm. But if it is going to cause you harm, then it's better to take the rukhsa and break your fast. So you'll get different approaches. But I think where this plays out more is in like... I don't know, maybe like you want to do something good. It's a little bit easier to do it publicly. It's a little bit more difficult to do it privately. You choose to do it privately, even though it's more difficult, you took azimah. You know, this would be like, it's better to do it that way. But it's acceptable to do it either one. But it's, I think the point here is that if we're going to take a road that requires more honor, more discipline, more character, all of these kind of things, it's usually going to be a little bit tougher. It's going to be the road less traveled, to use the um, famous self-help book in American uh, history, The Road Less Traveled. The first line is, life is difficult. <laughs> as, he said, as long as we agree on this, then we're okay. So, so there'll be things like this. Um, if you go and you visit someone who's righteous, they usually say if you visit someone who's righteous and they offer you food, 
you have a little, there's a rukhsa to eat more than your fill a little bit. The azimah would be to not. You know, if you can get away with it while still being polite and so on and so forth, right? So there's details to it, alhamdulillah. Yes. Muhammad Samara, MashaAllah. Allah Allah. 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 That's kind of challenging to translate, but yeah, uh, it's the it's the address of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to the legally responsible servants on matters of uh, things that they have to do or things that they have a choice to do, uh, and things that are relationships between things in the created world. You're not going to understand any of it <laughs> unless you've heard it before explained. It's not going to make sense to you. But this is definition of a ruling in the Sharia. Yeah. That's the general. Uh, there is something that is called Qarina. Uh, I said that from the last of that in many services. The Qarina is a code that tells us how serious is the honor, the order of Allah subhanahu It says how serious it is. And I see that also in the American law. Like, okay, you can yeah. do that, but you better not or else. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا قُضِيَةِ الصَّلَاةِ when the prayer of Friday, just leave and go about in the earth. Mm -hmm. Now that is a permission, even if it came as an order, it's a permission. Why? Because there is no karina, there is no close. If you don't do that, now you are going to fire hell, hellfire. So it is a permission despite the fact it's an order. Do it. You can't do it. It's halal. It comes and here, which is choosing. Another hadith of Rasulullah when he said, I have ordered you not to visit graves. Now go and visit. Another one that say you can, even though he's ordering us that. So I think that's how the Fu'aha, the uh, jurisprudence, they actually, it's great structure, science, beautiful science, an ocean of knowledge. They have used these qaba'in to know where's the permission, where's the macro, where's the obligation? Uh, and, and, and we are really not Uqa'a, we're just Mutabani, we're followers. And we do the best we can, and Allah bless us, and help us to be guided. Amen, 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 amen. Barakallah fikum. Alhamdulillah. It's an ocean. Alhamdulillah. You know, may we swim in it. And. Avoid any storms, inshallah. <laughs> uh, yes, Kareem. I think the, the author mentioned it in the context of uh, of Wudu. Yes. Is, is that the is that the original context of the hadith? Because growing up, I would hear this hadith thrown a lot, thrown around a lot. Basically, every situation. Yeah. yeah. So I was just wondering if, if that was the original context uh, instead of the 
So this is the, the hadith that the, if a person sees something evil, then they should change it with their hand, and if not, then with their tongue, and if not, then they hate it in their heart. And he's using it in the context of oppression. Is that the original context of the hadith? Um, I don't know, but the general wording of the hadith indicates that it could be used in that context, and it could be used in other contexts too. Is anyone who sees something munkar, of course oppression would be something that's di- munkar, it's uh, disliked or... It's a better word for that. What did he use? Uh, anyways, something that's whatever. It's not good. But it could be used in other things too. I think the problem with that hadith, uh, there's, there's two guiding principles on that hadith that are often ignored. First guiding principle is that uh, the way that one responds to that evil thing must be inappropriate and uh, must be appropriate to their jurisdiction. So, for example, uh, I might not have change it with your hand. I might not have the authority to change something with my hand. Whereas, like someone who's a, I don't know an actor of the state, they're a muhtasib, they're a parent. You know, they have the authority to like physically stop their kid from doing something. For example, but I might not have that authority. Um, so it has to be within the jurisdiction of the person. And then the second principle is that it cannot lead to a greater harm. And this is the one I think that's really ignored. Um, and again, this is part of the thing about how the intellect and the nafs have to be together. Right? It, ca- it can't be a purely emotional thing. I saw something bad, I want to change it, and I just have to change it without any consideration to am I causing a bigger problem here or not. Um, but there has to be consideration to that. Anyways, anything else before we wrap up? Inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and guide us, forgive us, protect us and our families, and give victory to those who are oppressed. اللهم إننا نسألك أن هدى والتقى والعفاف والغناء المستون بسترك الجميل المستون بسترك الجميل اللهم إننا نسألك العفو والعافية والمعافاة الدائمة في الدين والدنيا والآخر ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسناتهم في الآخرة حسناتهم وقنا عذاب النار ربنا لا تزن قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك الرحمة إنك أنت الوهاب ربنا آتنا من لدنك الرحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا نصر من الله وفتح قريب وبشر المؤمنين اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا التباع وأرنا الباطل باطلا وزقنا اجتنابا اللهم زقنا حسن اللهم زقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك الستر عنا وعافنا وعفو عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا اللهم انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من غفلة عنك اللهم انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من غفلة عنك ومجعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وزد وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله كما يليق بكماله سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون السلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين بارك الله فيكم and don't forget for those who want to join one o'clock at sixth and Moro uh, for Palestine بارك الله فيكم on Wednesday evenings on 6th